Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your hosts, Jeff and Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, I'm Lonnie. And I am Jeff. Welcome to Global Answers. Friends, we're very glad to be with you today. There was a man named Pontius Pilate one time that looked right in the face of truth and said, what is truth? I think that's a question all of us ask. Science continually asks it about the world around us. And, but now we're focusing not so much on the science or the world around us, but rather religion. What is truth? Can a man recognize truth? Can a man produce truth? What is truth? And just the other day, our pastor sitting right here beside me, Jeff Jenkins, gave us a good message on that. And so we've asked him if he would share a little bit with us today about some of the things that he brought out from Scripture and say in the concepts of Scripture, what is truth? So, Jeff, would you mind talking to us sure. a little about that? Absolutely. Love to. Many of the questions we get uh, from uh, our viewers uh, with Global Answers is uh, questions that inspire us. And then as a result of that, we're inspired to speak to you concerning uh, the, these incredible questions. And one of those questions is, is, in a world of pluralism, in a world of everybody's idea, in a world of so many voices, can a person know absolute truth? Well, truth by definition is absolute, isn't it? Uh, truth by definition is exclusive. If we were to really be honest, every belief system, whether it's a Hindu or, or, or a Muslim, whether it's a Christian, every person's belief system, they, they really believe secretly and deeply within their own heart that their core beliefs are more right than another individual's. Although they say, you're entitled to my, your belief and I'm entitled to mine, in their heart they do believe that their core beliefs are more, more correct than somebody else's. If they thought somebody else's beliefs were more correct, then they would follow that truth. So the question then that is posed to us is, in the myriad of voices, can we, or does God even require that we know Bible truth? After all, there's some uh, 3,000 uh, various concepts of Christianity and various beliefs and doctrines and various denominations. In all that myriad and all those different various belief systems, does God say, no, it's not really important? It's not really necessary that you know absolute Bible truth. After all, there's no way that you can really ever know absolute Bible truth. Therefore, I am an all-inclusive God, and I include all religions, and I embrace all religions. Is that the God we serve, or is that the God of the Bible? Or does God say, no, there is an absolute truth? And I'm here to say, uh, uh, in answering your question, that yes, there is an absolute truth. In I'd other like words, to interject yes, here. Yes, yes. As you mentioned, you you focused in on the Bible and Christianity, but what I read in the newspaper, uh, there's diverse beliefs within the Muslims. Yes, there are. And I'm sure there is within the Buddhism yeah. and Hinduism. In fact, I know there is in Hinduism because yeah. I've been in India many times. So consequently, it's not a question within Christianity what is truth. Every religion is seeking truth, and that's why each group splits off from another group because they feel they've either holding to or discovered mm. some new truth, and so they're going to separate off with their truth. Yes. And I think that in Christianity, that's why we have so many denominations. And in the Muslim religion, we hear about the Shiites and all the others going this way and that way, but each one thinking 
their insight is the truth. And so this concept of, yes, there is an absolute, I like that. Yes. Just continue on. I just right. wanted to insert there. Well, it's very important. You look at even the moralists of our society. One person will say, well, no, it's not immoral or wrong to have an abortion. What does the Bible say about it? Another person will say, well, no, it's not moral or immoral for a man to marry a man. What does the Bible say about it? So what we're going to find out also is, is that many will say, yes, the Bible is truth. <clears throat> but often, and that's why we have 3,000 different denominations, often they want a God of their own imagination, of their own forging, of their own making, rather than the God of the Bible. So if we just take, for instance, one primary thought, is the Bible infallible? Now, if there are those out there uh, that say, no, the Bible is not infallible, it has error in it, and many of the stories are, are allegorical, they're not literal. For instance, uh, there was no flood, there was no literal Noah, there was no literal boat. Many believe that. Uh, there are even those that believe there was no literal resurrection. And so, in other words, you have many belief systems that in doing so, tear away or tear down the authenticity, the infallibility of the Bible. First, I want to say in our premise, in our building, the Bible is the inherent truth of God. There's no error, no error in the Bible. God watched over his word. If the Bible has error in it, then our compass is broken. And you're out lost and you're out in the woods and you say, well, I, I'm not sure where I'm at, but let me pull out my compass. And you pull out your compass, but it's not calibrated directly to north, to something that's absolute, something that's sure. The compass is supposed to know where north is. And if I know where north is, I can know where east and west and south is. But if the compass is broken, it's got error in it, then I'm lost. Well, I want to say, first of all, that the Bible is the infallible word of God. God watched over the word of God. That's the one thing we want to say, first of all, and we can go into many scriptures, and we will perhaps later. First of all, our compass is accurate, and that's the Bible. Second of all, the Bible is vindicated, and it's also historically vindicated. And third and most important is, is that the prophecies of scriptures, the prophecies of scriptures that were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before are coming to pass. Let me inject yes. here. Yes. In Isaiah, God says which of the other gods that people claim can tell you the future? Yes. I don't think any of them do. That's right. I don't know of any religion that their God, their Bible, tells them what will come to pass. And yet the God of the Bible has spoken over and over what would be the four world powers, uh, what would be this, what would be that. Yeah. And it's come to pass exactly. And that's why we know, as Bible-believing Christians, that where we are in God's economy and God's age today because these things are coming to pass exactly according to the Word of God. Yes. And it, in, in other words, it didn't need my interpretation, did it? Not at all. God interpreted His own Word. By bringing it to pass. By bringing it to pass. Right. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. It goes way beyond theology. It goes into something else called the supernatural. Jesus said, if you can't believe me when He was healing their sick and raising their dead, and bringing doctrine, he said, if you can't believe me, believe the works that I do, the supernatural, for they, the works, are they that testify of who I am. So Jesus said very clearly, I heal your sick, I raise your dead, I discern the thoughts and intents of the people's heart. 
that should be proof enough that what I speak comes directly from God. Because God, no man can raise your dead. No man can heal your sick. Only God. And some people will say, well, Brother Jeff, the devil can heal. Is that true? Do you think the devil can heal, Brother Lonnie? The devil cannot heal. Uh, he can only counterfeit what God is doing. And I think to inject in here also for those who may be on the fringes of Christianity, that there is an anti-power against God, and that is Satan, or the devil, or That's Lucifer. Right. And that we must realize that he also has made claims that he will be worshipped as God. Yeah. He will have a, a following, like God has a following. And he will have a place in the Psalms, it says, established on the sides of the north, exactly where God said he would be. So we've got to realize there's two spirit powers in the world, God and Satan. And both of them are anointing our thinking. Both of them are influencing religion. <clears throat> one, to keep the people true. The other one, to get the people off the path. Because mm. Satan cannot create. He can only pervert what God creates. That's right. So any false religion is actually a perversion of a true. That's and good. that's because it's a perversion of a true, it has a lot of truth in it. Yep. Just like a counterfeit dollar bill looks an awful lot like a dollar bill. Yes. But it couldn't be a counterfeit unless there was a real dollar bill somewhere. There you go. So people who say, well, every uh, war was created by religions and they want to throw out all religions, they've missed the concept. There is a true one somewhere. That's right. And the others become counterfeits off the real. And so people want to say, well, it, these people believe this like you do and they believe this like you do because they're counterfeits off the real. But finding the truth, finding the real, that's the question. So then, <clears throat> there is a truth, and truth can be known by the supernatural God. In other words, a, a word, a Bible, a doctrine that is vindicated supernaturally, like Jesus said. Well, Noah said, the flood's coming, and the flood came. Uh, the scripture says that one day the, the Jews that have been dispersed all over the world will be regathered again. And right. now they're regathered again and, and have their own they nation. They are right, practically in our generation that, of course, I'm old enough, I, I saw it happen. Yes. And others haven't seen it happen, but still in, in 1948 when it took to place, that was fulfillment of Scripture. Fulfillment God of Scripture. said, I'll disperse you everywhere, I'll bring you back again. And it's interesting too, the last group he said he would uh, speak to was, he says, and I'll say to the north, give up. That's always Russia. Yep. And the last nation that would release the, the Jewish people was the Russian nation. Incredible. Exactly following the pattern of Scripture. Truth. Truth. It's truth. <clears throat> and so God is interpreting His own Word, isn't He? Absolutely. So I don't have to interpret it. God's interpreting it. And going back to what Jesus said, knowing that the Scripture tells us that Satan can't heal because they said to Jesus, you cast out devils by the finger of Beelzebub. So they were telling Jesus that you're using demonic powers to heal the sick. And Jesus responded and said, if Satan can cast out Satan, his kingdom is divided. So in other words, Satan cannot heal. In other words, when, if somebody's sick with cancer, that's a demonic spirit on that person that produces that foreign cell of death called cancer. Well, that spirit can be cast <coughs> out by a supernatural force, which is God's power, and then the spirit of life in that cancer dies, and the cancer as a result dies as well. The tissue dies. So the Lord casts out evil spirits. The Lord casts out the dumb or the deaf or the blind spirit. They, then they can hear, then they can see. The Lord raised Lazarus from the dead. The devil can't heal the sick. The devil can't raise the dead. He's the author of death, but he's not the author of life. 
So consequently, it's God's, it's God's program, and Satan is a fallen angel, but he's still, Satan is still a tool in the hand of God. And so Satan has cer certain amount of abilities, and the, the one thing that God allows Satan to do, he allows it. It's not his perfect will, but he allows it. Satan wants to be worshipped, but he wants to be worshipped in religion. And then he says to mankind, mankind, which will you choose? False religion, counterfeit religion, counterfeit dollar bill, or true religion? Because there's a true faith, and then there's a counterfeit faith. And we don't like to think of it that way in our pluralistic society, in our society of a smorgasbord religion. We like to think that everybody uh, doesn't really need or is not required of God to have truth. But let's go back to the very beginning and find out the way that God thinks. In the very beginning, there's two people. There's Adam and Eve. They had some children, Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve fell from the original plan of God. We're not going to go into the original sin. But the result was Cain and Abel. As a result, then, we find out that God said to Cain and to Abel, I want you to offer a sacrifice. So, Cain brings forth the fruit of his hands. He brings forth pomegranates and apples and, and beautiful array of different fruits from the harvest field. Abel brings forth the flat, fatling of the flocks. He takes a lamb, and what does Abel do with that lamb? He slits the throat of that lamb, and the blood pours out upon the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but if God told two people, make a choice, and I want you both to offer for me an offering at an altar. One brings fruit. It's clean. It's copacetic. It's the works of his own hands. He sowed the seed. He took care of the field. He pulled the weeds. He kept the rabbits away from the garden, and he brings the fruit. While the other man takes an innocent lamb, a lamb that was eating out of the grassy fields, and he takes the life of that lamb and spills the blood on the altar. Which, all, which one would you choose? The fruit or the bleeding lamb? Well, Cain felt his offering was acceptable. God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, your offering, is, this is what the Bible says, is not acceptable to me. Cain should have said, oh, I'm sorry, God. Well, then I'll offer whatever you want me to offer. Well, Cain, do like your brother Abel. He wouldn't do it. He said, Cain, if you don't do it, sin lies at your door and its desire shall be over you. In other words, sin, unbelief will rule your life. But Cain started the first, the, the first church of Cain and his was fruits on an, on an altar. God said, no, Abel's offering is right. Which is an amazing thing. Yes. And unless you un understand the original sin, you wonder, why blood? Why blood? Why blood? Yeah. But there was a certain pollution that went on in Eden that we'll get into in another time uh, that took place and God's bloodline was the only thing that could, uh, a blood sacrifice was the only thing that could overcome, which traces us all the way down to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ conceived by a blood cell My. that God placed in the womb of the Virgin Mary to produce a pure blood, to, re to release a pure life, Amen. to cover us sin-born humans uh, with the potential of that life coming back on us, of course, which is the Holy Ghost. Excuse me, I've taken us well, off in another right. path. Go back to well, truth again. Well, <clears throat> you look at Adam when he had sinned. When Adam had sinned, he ran and found some fig leaves. 
and said, God will accept me. Just the way if I cover myself, God will accept me. And God found Adam and says, what are you doing with those fig leaves? Did, did you sin? Did you partake of the tree wherever I told you not to? Well, I was afraid. And the woman you gave me, she gave me of the fruit and I did eat. And what did we find God doing? We found that God clothed his children in skins, wrapped them in skins. And in other words, God slew an animal. Perhaps we could say in a drama, God came down, took on a form because God's a spirit. And he slew an animal and he clothed his children in bloody lamb skins. Now, he's, they're asked, this children, Cain and Abel, are asked to offer an offering. One offers fruit, the other one offers blood. God accepted the blood sacrifice, which was a shadow, the little lamb bleeding on the altar was a shadow of, to foretell, to tell us in the future of the blood of the bleeding lamb, Jesus Christ. So the lamb of God had to be slain, but it was, it was the shadow, the seed was planted in Genesis. So Abel was right. <coughs> Cain was wrong. Not, now, in a, in a pluralistic society, we would say, oh, Cain, it's okay. We'll grade on a curve. Abel, yours was the best. Cain, yours is acceptable also. And Cain, you did the best you knew how to do, and we'll accept your fruit. God didn't do that. God didn't do that. God had an absolute truth, and he wanted them to follow that absolute truth. Blood had to be spilt for the sins of of Cain and Abel for the sins of mankind. So Abel offers the sacrifice, Cain refuses. Cain gets jealous, gets angry, and he does what? What does the false church do? Or what does the non-elect always do? They rise up and persecute the elect. Now, just warp forward. Go forward real fast with me to Jesus' day. Who crucified Jesus? Did the adulterers, did the fornicators, did the, did the sinners, did the, uh, the harlots and the drunkards crucify Jesus? No. The religious leaders of the day, religion crucified Jesus Christ. Supposed truth. Supposed truth. Truth masquerading as truth. False truth masquerading as truth. Crucified truth. In the name of religion. In the name of religion. So, what we're asking ourselves is, is, does God want us to follow a particular truth within his Bible? The answer is yes. We're never going to be able to finish entirely what we want to say in this one broadcast. But stay with us because this is a series. We're going to be going on from broadcast to broadcast to show you throughout the Bible that God has a, a provided way in which he wants his people to walk. He wants them to walk in truth. And you, you say, Brother Jeff, how can I know which is right and which is counterfeit? God will vindicate that truth. Tell me, was Moses vindicated with signs and wonders and miracles? Yes. Was Noah vindicated? The flood came. Was Jesus Christ vindicated with signs, wonders, and miracles? Yes. How about Elijah when he called fire out of heaven and consumed the 50 that tried to come up the mountain to take him down? How about Elijah when he took an axe head that had fallen into the water and he caused the axe head to float again? Or to tell Na Naaman to go into the water, dip himself seven times, and come up out of the water without his leprosy? We could go on and on and on. God's men are vindicated, and those men carry truth. It's never generally, Brother Lonnie, is it? It's never generally a delegation of men, is it? No, God chooses, gets a hold of one man. It's hard enough to get a hold of one man, much less a group of men. <laughs> but one man, and Paul said, I came to you not with the wisdom of man, but mm. with the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. 
So the same thing was, is true starting even with the Apostle Paul in the Christian church, that he came forth with a demonstration that God was with him. Even Jesus did the same thing. Mm -hmm. He says, if you don't believe me, believe me for the work's sake. There you go. And then he said, it's not me, it's the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. That, that was the firstborn among many brethren in Jesus Christ. But it, we saw the pattern in the Old Testament. And then we see the New Testament carrying forward the very same thing. God vindicates his man in, in the age because we know that there was varying powers manifested in varying ages, whether it was a dark age uh, or on up closer to today where we're getting close to harvest time, the powers are showing more great, more great, more great because we're getting close to the grain coming back to grain again for, for harvest time. But God vindicates and these signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. And so we see it. I know myself as a missionary that when I go into a new nation, I see supernatural following my own ministry. Uh, I, sometimes I have to admit to my own amazement. Yes much more than I ever would see it in our own home church where they're already believing they don't need God to prove himself and prove himself and prove himself. He's already proven himself. Exactly. Now it's just a matter of growing the word. But when we go into a new nation where the people haven't seen, haven't heard, my, then we see blind eyes opening and people walking that couldn't walk and things happening that, that are astounding even to me right. as, as God is working through me because I know it's not me. But it's God vindicating the word that I'm bringing. It's not a vindication of Lonnie. It's a vindication of the word that I'm bringing because there there's a spirit. Jesus said, this, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So when we bring, bring this Jesus, he is the living word. When we bring this Jesus into any new area, God is there to vindicate always, always, always. So then a person can know truth aside from... Just intellectual reasoning, aside from, well, in other words, take the individual, for instance, that he's just, he's not, he's not a preacher, he's not a theologian, he's never gone to seminary, he's depending on his pastor, and that yet that pastor's had four, whatever, six years of seminary schooling, maybe he's a doctor, and, and he knows so much about the Greek, so much about the Latin, so much about history, that, that little sheep in that church is looking to that man, yet that in and of itself is still not proof that, that 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 sheep in that church is following truth, is it? No. No, because there are many uncalled men in called positions. Mm -hmm. I, I remember the story you were telling about going to this wedding and asked the pastor of that church that performed the wedding, yeah. uh, how did he get his calling? And he says, well, my mom told me I thought she thought I'd make a good preacher. And I thought, well, that's a good occupation. So I went to seminary and became a preacher. Well, that's no call. No, we see not. all through the scripture when God calls a man, God calls a man. Exactly. It's not uh, just because people recommended the position as a job. Right. Because these men, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, they are gifts of God to the church. And so there's something in them that brings a measure of Christ to the people that, that the ordinary person without that call can't do. That's right. Also, the called man should be able to stay straight on the word because there's a gift and a Holy Ghost leadership in his life that keeps him straight. But on you mentioned God vindicating with signs and wonders. Before we go out of this broadcast, I want to uh, remind the people, the scripture says in our day, in this last day, as Janus and Jamboree's withstood Moses, so will these of reprobate mind resist the truth. 
So therefore, God has already told us in these last days, Janus and Jambres was the court magicians that withstood Moses. And when his rod became a snake, they did the same thing. So they were duplicating the supernatural of God and thereby hardening the hearts of the people. And so God said, that's going to happen again in the last days. And to confirm that again, we go over to Matthew 24, 24, and it shows that the uh, there will be false Christs, false anointed ones in the last days. So they will be working the supernatural. But the Bible says, with a reprobate mind concerning the truth. So we're, we're running out of time for this broadcast today. And I think we've opened up some subject matter that we're going to be delighted to share with you in our next episode. So come back and join us again next week. We're just really anxious to share with you. God bless. Bye-bye. Before we close on our subject of light, I wanted to bring you up to speed again. Remember, the purpose of our program is to show you what God is doing in our day. And so now, and we find in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, God promises, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, caterpillar, palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. So, in simplicity, we'll, some other program will get into what these worms represent. But the key is, God said, I will restore. To Israel, that's the restoration of their, their land to them. And of course, all scripture has compound meaning. To us Gentiles, that's a promise of the restoration of taking us back to the word, as we've emphasized to you so very often. And then in Amos 3.7, it says, Surely the Lord our God will do nothing except he reveal it to his servants, the prophets. So before God makes any major move in any age, he promises, I'll send a prophet, I'll speak to him, he'll speak to people to prepare the people for either what's going to happen in the way of good or evil if judgment is coming upon the land. Normally a prophet comes to, to correct the, the church, the people that's going off into error, and it's no different in our age. So now coming back up to our age, pardon me for my little markers here on my Bible. In our age, I want to go back now to the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it starts out in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. Jesus is the word, but there were some things held back from him that God had not yet given to him. And so now this Christ has further work to do in the seven church ages. And in the seven church ages, when he is speaking to John, he speaks about this revelation of the word. And when he comes in our age, he's promised in, in Revelation 3.14, this church age that we're in, this Laodicean church age, that he comes as the spirit of truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So there's the great light for today, that fullness of truth, which comes to set you free. And that's what we're all longing for, saints, is to find that full liberty in Christ. God bless you. For more information on today's topic, contact us at this address or through our website and request the DVD, what is truth? Today's program, called An Absolute, is also available on DVD. Thank you for joining us, and may our Lord Jesus